This is In Focus, the weekly public affairs program from KTBB and the team sports radio, featuring members of the local community working to make East Texas a better place. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of In Focus. My name is Lonnie Johnson, and uh, this week we're going to talk about the one in three with Maya Golden Bethany. Uh, Maya, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, and thanks for having me on, Lonnie. You're very welcome. Let's start it. Well, I want to. I want to also say if you have any questions about today's episode, or any questions about one in three, you're welcome to email us at infocus at ktbb.com, and of course I'll have a URL for one in three uh, as the show goes on. We'll give that out uh, at, uh, multiple times actually in case someone needs it. Maya, welcome to the show. Thank you again. And any opportunity that we have to raise awareness about the One in Three Foundation and what we're doing in East Texas, we are proud to have that. So thank you for what you do for nonprofits as well. Well, let's start it right there. What is One in Three? The One in Three Foundation is an organization that provides counseling and healing services to survivors of sexual trauma who have little to no income. What we found, especially living in East Texas, where there are rural communities, um, as despite the fact that we have such a a large medical community, um, the mental health aspect of it, specifically for trauma and survivors, there were many barriers to care, whether it be financial barriers, because insurance sometimes does not cover therapy costs or counseling costs or certain techniques. Uh, in other cases, it's stigmas from either society, family, uh, religion in some cases, but we were finding that it was difficult for people to want to reach out for help. The One in Three Foundation exists to remove those barriers, and most of the people that we support, it's we're not an immediate response agency to sexual assault or sexual abuse. We are an agency that it might be two years after the fact, it might be 10 years after the fact. We've worked with clients where it's been 40 years after the fact, but they're recognizing how the traumatic event of sexual violence impacted their behaviors, the relationships, professional, personal, and are wanting to take the steps to heal. So basically we remove those barriers, mainly financial, to get them in with a licensed trauma specialist and begin counseling sessions. We also provide a weekly PTSD support group. It meets every Wednesday night. Uh, it's led by a trauma specialist, but it is very peer interactive. So uh, even though the group has someone there that is sort of a moderator to help when the days are hard, when we're struggling. Uh, the group itself works through sharing. There's sometimes a curriculum and then sometimes it pivots. If people just need a space to be able to talk and openly share and not focus on the curriculum or reading books that day, the group is there for that purpose. And so those are our two primary functions in the community. We also do lunch and learns. Uh, we try to educate care providers, law enforcement, family members of survivors, and then survivors themselves on topics that are pertinent to the struggle. Uh, basically, if we've done timely and responsive lunch and learns. So we did one in November of last year, for example, that was coping with family during the holidays. Uh, going home isn't always great for everybody during the holiday season, especially Thanksgiving and Christmas, or there's a loneliness that can come with it. And so we tried to make sure we were offering care from a social worker to talk about how you handle some of those things or how do you handle going back home when going home is a trigger. Uh, we've 
we've done them in response to hashtag why I didn't report. Obviously, hashtag uh, me too was, was prevalent. But we always try to offer something that gives insight into the journey of being a survivor, but then also gives them tools to be able to navigate it. We do one continuously and we plan to offer it again this April during Sexual Assault Awareness Month, which is what to do when someone you love has been sexually assaulted. And I field a lot of the calls as the executive director of the organization from spouses, husbands, wives, mothers, grandmothers saying this happened to my loved one and I want to help them. I'm seeing them struggle. What do I do? And so we try to equip families as well. So the Lunch and Learned are our third program. And then we have the Evolve Women's Conference. COVID gave us a little bit of a break from that for a little while, so we're excited to be able to bring it back. It's going to be November the 2nd this year at the W.T. Brookshire Conference Center. We have four speakers. We have Tara O'Dell, who's a burnout coach. We have Anissa Centers, who is at one of the local news stations. We have a fitness expert named Shannon Reynolds, and then myself. And the the goal of Evolve is to provide uh, wellness and to really support being a 21st century woman, what that looks like. There's a lot of hats that we wear. We're mothers, we're workers, uh, we're entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. and that that can take its toll. And so Evolve is a day to focus solely on yourself. So we try to empower women with sessions on networking, but also burnout. Uh, we'll be talking about the power of being confident when you speak, saying no to things, um, and then why your story matters. And then this year, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to end the day with a trauma-informed yoga session so that people can leave relaxed and breathing before they go back out into the world. So Evolve is a great event. We're happy to bring it back. This will be the fourth year that we've done it. Tickets are on sale right now. You can uh, register at EvolveWomensConference.com. Tickets are $75 for the day. That includes breakfast, lunch, a gift bag, and then also a yoga mat if you do the last session. But we look forward to to bringing the event back this year, and we're excited for it. That's exciting. Uh, Could you give your URL out for people that might want to use it? Yes. For the One in Three Foundation, anyone seeking information about our services, it's one, the numeral one. I-N, the numeral three, foundation.org. So one in three, foundation.org. There you go. So let's start here uh, because hopefully we'll, it sounds like the Evolve uh, it, it is almost like a emotional construction company uh, for positivity. Uh, but let's start, you mentioned um, signs. So say say some of us out here have uh, a family member who could be going through this, young, old, or whatever. What are some things that we can look for that uh, maybe they maybe they're not comfortable talking about it? Um, what are signs we can look for to say those people may need our help? That's a great question and an excellent question. With being a survivor of sexual violence, it manifests itself in a number of ways. Um, 
one thing that we have learned, it's a very interesting fact, is there was a study a few years back that um, basically analyzed PTSD in populations of survivors of sexual violence and soldiers. Not every soldier that goes to battle comes back with PTSD, which is interesting, but every survivor of sexual abuse or sexual assault experiences some form of PTSD, according to this study. And well, I think that makes sense. I mean, even uh, uh, if you're at war, uh, you're at war against a quote unquote evil or what you think. So you're doing the right thing. And uh, maybe you have to do bad things in the course of doing that right thing. Um, it, far different from sexual abuse. I mean, it's, it, there's just nothing positive about it. Exactly. And the way that it can manifest itself, PTSD has, there's a number of, of symptoms. Uh, erratic behavior is one. Um, dramatic shifts in mood. So impulsivity. Um, if someone seems like they might be showing displays of manic behaviors, maybe fixations on something, um, impulsive shopping, impulsive fixation on uh, anything that would probably be considered a, a numbing mechanism. So alcohol, drug abuse, um, anything that they're doing to sort of disconnect from the reality. And Maybe no real conversations with them about, you know, like you, you, there's a real conversation and then there's topical conversations. And are uh, sometimes they just are they just topical? They don't want to talk about anything really with any depth. Yes, and there's definitely an aspect of what we call um, dissociative disorders, and that's really when people numb themselves to the traumatic experience. And as you said, they don't want to address it. They don't want to talk about it. In many ways, they shut down when that conversation starts. So you might see that that person is unresponsive or unwilling to talk about it. Some cases rage may manifest and you might see a, a side of their anger, which is not their typical personality. And I can confess even that myself, I went through bouts of that where I was just angry and I didn't understand. Um, it's not about the situation you're in at the time. It's still about dealing with the past. So if you you're seeing those signs in someone and you're concerned for them, it is always okay to express that concern to them about their behavior, to talk to them about their behavior. You cannot obviously control how they're going to react to it, but to at least let them know that you're a voice and you're willing to listen to them if they're ready to talk. Um, I would not encourage anyone to push someone on the subject, but to say, I recognize you seem to be struggling. This does not seem to be the person that you are. If there's something that you want to talk about, I'm here. That's the first step. And that's probably one of the, the best ways, because when you've gone through sexual abuse or sexual assault, you feel like you're on an island. And our name, the One in Three Foundation, is derived from the World Health Organization statistic that one in three women will experience physical or sexual violence in their lifetime. That's freaking devastating to hear. Uh, I, I was going to go there next, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just the, the, the not the name of your organization is disturbing, but it is. Um, one in three, Maya, one in three women are abused sexually yes. currently in our society. I mean, that, that one in three. Right. And those are just the reported cases that we're aware of. If you think about globally, again, this is a 
we just came out of a pandemic where we were discussing, you know, an airborne virus, but this is a pandemic of silence. And this is something that people don't want to talk about. People don't want to step forward and discuss it. So we say one in three and the statistic might actually be unfortunately higher. But when I was creating the organization and I was trying to think of what to name it, I was looking at those statistics and that number stood out to me. And it really was a slap across the face to think to think that. But I grew up thinking that I was the only one. I grew up thinking that I was alone. And so there is a very sad and sobering commonality to being in that one. But that's why we exist so that people don't feel alone. And we want to encourage them wherever part of the community you're in to reach out and get help. There are services through our organization, One in Three Foundation. There's the East Texas Crisis Center that does an amazing job. There are several other organizations in town that work with survivors for the silent. Um, We're all community partners with them and we're all working towards a common goal to help people move beyond abuse. But to think that it doesn't happen in East Texas or to think that I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're you're if, I, that for for anyone listening, I'm not laughing cuz I'm happy. I'm laughing cuz it's just uh, what you said was I mean, I think it's uh I've I've often said East Texas, South Louisiana, uh, uh you know, sir southern Arkansas, North Louisiana, just that that whole area in the south. It, I, I could be wrong, but it seems more prevalent in, in the South. I don't know if people, I, I don't know. It, 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 it's heartbreaking. But the number one in three is, is just heartbreaking. And so I wonder, how do, how do, is there ever a way to punish the perpetrators without shaming the victim? That's a very interesting and complex question. I will say that some survivors are fortunate to be believed. Because that means one in three people are pigs. Yes. Excuse my French. You're perpetrators. (laughs) No, you're you're exactly right. And um, I mentioned earlier, and I will say this very briefly, I mentioned earlier our services and our programs to work with survivors specifically. But we have done other programs that are focused on trying to reduce the number of perpetrators out there, trying to um, we've worked with we worked with the high schools. We did a. Uh, a seminar, a day-long seminar. It's a group out of D.C. called Men Can Stop Rape. That's their name. And they flew in and they worked with us and the local high schools. And we use we worked with the athletic teams because who is typically seen as sort of the, the people on campus that are the examples? It's usually the athletes. And so we had the team captains come and talk to them about healthy masculinity, boundaries, consent, all of those things. Because I think even I was wrong and when we started the organization and I can admit to this that I just was so focused on working with the survivors I wasn't thinking about the other side of it which is prevention and helping someone a young man a young woman understand what consent looks like uh, is one of the biggest things because once that's embedded in there you complicated for people why is that so complicated for people consent is when someone consensually wants to be with you that's it. Right. I mean, if, if there's not that, there's not consent. And I, um, uh, so what does, what can a young person do 
in the event, it, it's it's almost unpreventable. At least the initial effort by the perpetrator. You know what I mean? That you can't you can't really stop that. If somebody wants to be a piece of crap, they're going to be a piece of crap. What can the victims do initially? Maybe if they're in that circumstance, if it's gone on, it's gone on, and there's problems. But what if they're confronted with that? What's a good way for them to try and stop that in its tracks? What are, are there things to say or do? I think really one of the the biggest things is going back to those stigmas that I talked about of us not talking about it as a community. Uh, I think that we have to create environments where not just in our homes, but at our schools, at our churches, at the grocery store even, where people feel like it is okay to say that something is wrong that's that's inappropriate. And the thing about many perpetrators, especially with sexual abuse and when it's prolonged, is they have the manipulation control over their victim. Um, many times they're told if they're a child that the child is going to be the one to get in trouble. Well, the child doesn't have the developmental capacity to understand that. Or you remember it wrong. You know, any number of excuses can be thrown out. I've heard I've heard from family members who have said, not my family, but from other survivors in the community who have said that they tried to reach out to a family member or talk to them about it. And they said, oh, he's a nice man. He wouldn't have meant to do something like that. The first thing that we can all do is believe survivors. That's not a hashtag. That's the truth. If a child comes forward and tells you this type of thing is happening, believe them. That is not the type of knowledge that most kids have. So I don't care how vivid their imagination is. It's not likely that a child is going to create a story where this is 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 a false accusation. The same with sexual assault. We see it so often. Well, what was she doing? Why was she at the party? What was she drinking? Um, and this is on the male and the female side. I, I focus. We, we work with women, but it, it tends to be just that immediate response. And you see it so often in the news when there's these high profile cases. The first thing that we can do. And I'm not saying there has not been cases of false reporting, but we still need to believe that if somebody was willing to come forward and talk about this, especially given all of the negativity that it surrounds that, knowing what it could do to their family, knowing what it could do to their own personal image, we need to embrace them and lift them up. And I think that's the first step that we need to take is just believe them and give them the feeling that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to say this bad thing has happened to me. And then also to let them know as a community, through law enforcement, through family engagement, that this is not going to be tolerated. And I think there need to be more severe penalties for perpetrators, honestly. And maybe as easy as it is to get angry at the perps, it's very easy for me. Um, I, I do acknowledge that in, maybe in some cases they had some, some similar trauma and, and they acted out at a, uh, an age where they weren't, their, their cortex wasn't formed yet and they did whatever. So somehow if we could take the stigma off of it, because again, with the name one in three. So if you're listening to this episode and you're sitting with two of your friends, look at one of them or the other or yourself and one of you is going to be that way when you when you uh kind of project that onto people in media people in politics people everywhere so one in three of them when you see them think of that and think of what they would have to do if they had to talk about 
you know, their situation and still go out and be in front of people, in front of the camera and put themselves out there. So it's just uh, if, if we could find a way, I think, to to uh, just offer counseling to the perps in addition to punishment. I'm not saying instead of uh, in addition to punishment, maybe I don't know that. It's it's sad to me. Or have we made any progress on breaking the cycle since, like, the say the eighties? I would say that from what we see statistically, reporting is up. They're they're. So we've gone backwards. Well, report. Re, it's not necessarily that we've gone backwards. It's not that the cr- number of crimes has increased. Although, you can look at things like social media and the sexualization of children at a far too early age, and the ease of access to which predators now have access to them online has. Yes, in some ways, that has made it worse. The fact that the reporting numbers are up doesn't necessarily mean that there are more instances of sexual abuse. It does mean that when we're telling children or we're telling any individual at any point in time, you need to come forward and report this, that they are taking that action. There are still so many that that don't, that that suffer in silence. Um, there are still a lot of perpetrators who are never held accountable for what they did. But the reporting shows that if we can continue to, to encourage people to speak out, tell law enforcement, um, tell a, a trusted family member that action can be taken. But there has definitely been I wouldn't say an increase in the incidents I just think that the the access to especially children has become easier through online but predators seek victims of all ages not just children and if someone's a manipulator or if someone's using coercion um, they can easily lure somebody and pretend to be someone else so we also talk a lot about online safety and if you've never seen that person face to face that person is a stranger a hundred percent are this is kind of a loaded question. I'm not sure how to ask. Are, are, just as I asked you if there were signs for the victim, are there signs for the perpetrators? It doesn't seem like it would be that obvious because it's something they're going to hold and do in complete secret. I can't really truly authentically speak to that and say that I'm well versed in it. I know that you see a lot of the news headlines, and I can comment on that where you hear the shock of people that comment on it when it's someone in the community that's well respected it might be even a pastor or someone who's revered um, there have been athletes in some cases I don't know that there's any type of I think athletes have been fairly proactive on a lot of this they could be but I I, I think they would be perfect examples because uh, it, 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 well the, the, the male or female Athletes are strong versions of our society. Uh, maybe not, you know, emotionally strong. I don't know, but you kind of have to be at some level to achieve uh, success. At like, say, a women's soccer uh, player uh, or a, a football, basketball player, what, whatever you want to say. So I, I think that they sometimes they're good for kids to to look to that can, you know, give them information. Um, real quick, I'll, uh, would you talk about Evolve again and give the URL so that people can reach out? Yes. So the Evolve Women's Conference is November the 2nd, uh, 2023. So that's coming up in just a couple of months. Registration is open at evolvewomensconference.com. 
calm. It is from 9 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. We feed you because we're from the South and we believe that. But it's a day of uh, just lifting women up on the professional and the personal side. But it all comes back to wellness and mental health and just empowering and supporting other women. And the URL? It's evolvewomensconference.com. And if you're looking for information about the One in Three Foundation, it's one in three foundation.org. That's the numeral one, I N numeral three foundation.org. Next question What kind of impediment can unresolved sexual, sexual abuse cause? It can disturb so many aspects of your life from personal relationships to professional relationships. Uh, We see higher instances of divorce in instances where the abuse was never resolved. Um, There's coping mechanisms, again, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, sex addiction. Uh, It can lead to many problems, even overspending, overeating, binge eating, purge, purging. Um, anorexia has ties in some cases to traumatic childhood. Of the episode. victim might not even connect the two. Exactly. That's what's so scary to me is because it's so, we don't even, re- they don't even realize that um, why they're behaving like they're behaving. Uh, that, you know, there's approximate cause that they probably buried in their mind years ago. That's a. Uh, are men as affected as women on this? The numbers that we hear um, with with men, the statistics and the reporting is even less for men. Men are more reluctant in many cases to come forward and share their stories. Um, we've heard one in six. We've heard one in four. It depends on, I believe, which organization you're working with. Um, but I don't know that men are more su- susceptible to it. Um, there are definitely instances of we've been reached out to by men in our community, um, by men from other communities that just found our information and we're trying to find resources. And I say that we work primarily with women. We do. If, if a male calls and they're seeking help, we've never turned anyone away that's looking for help. So um, our primary focus is working with women. Our PTSD support group is for women only. And that's really a matter of giving women a safe space. But um, if a man is looking for information, if you identify as male and you would like to try to connect with a trauma specialist, you're also welcome to reach out to us and, and uh, we can connect you with a proper health care provider. Let's end it on a high note before we wrap up. If you if you get help and uh, you you address these things, what does the other side look like for people? That's part in part. Um, you really understand when you look back at it the how it robbed you of life. Um, Once you're on the other side of it, it doesn't mean that there's no more trials and tribulations. It doesn't mean that you don't have highs and lows, but you learn to mitigate those a lot better. Your relationships are improved. I know for me, after I got help and after I learned what PTSD was and studied it, I was a better mother because I could give myself in a way that didn't, that wasn't frustrating. I was a better wife. I was a better worker because I wasn't trying to chase perfectionism and burning myself out because 
I didn't feel good enough. So all of those things I was able to mitigate through help through getting help. And I just want to encourage other survivors that what you're feeling right now is not permanent. Um, if you get help, it takes work and the change and the transformation is hard, but it is well worth it because you deserve to live a life that's vibrant and happy and full of joy. Well said. If I can say anything, uh, not to the victims, but to the potential perpetrators who might be listening to this show, uh, you're breaking someone temporarily when you do this. You may break them for the rest of their lives. You may break them temporarily, but there's uh, in no way are you showing love and empathy to your fellow men or women by doing something like this. So uh, I'm not going to sit here and threaten you and say, I'll come and beat you up because it's just no good and I probably can't beat you up <laughs> but I will tell you that what uh, whatever feelings you're having are wrong and uh, go talk to someone it's it's just important that you go talk to someone and get these feelings out of your system as it is to put this situation on someone who I promise you doesn't want the burden and have them carry it for until they can reconcile things. It, it is vicious. So, so go fix yourself. And those listening, go, go fix yourself, love your neighbor, uh, show empathy, take care of children. Don't, uh, they're so delicate. Uh, if something like this happens uh, with a child, it's just, it takes a long time, right? It, to have this happen during your developmental years, sexual abuse, um, your brain is not developed enough to know the difference between what should be right. And so um, there's this core belief that says that I am not worthy of love. I am not um, able to trust people and that I exist for other people's pleasure. And that is a hard thing to undo when you're developing that as at the age of, in some cases, four or five years old. Um, and so, yes. <sighs> we were going to try to end on a high note. I'm sorry. Uh, Maya, real quickly, one more time for the Evolve date. Evolve is November the 2nd at the W.T. Brookshire's Conference Center, and you can register at EvolveWomensConference.com. Maya Golden-Bethany with One in Three Foundation, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. Let's have a safe and happy week. In Focus is a weekly public affairs program featuring members of the local community working to make East Texas a better place. In Focus is produced by KTBB and the Team Sports Radio. And we thank you for listening. Join us again next week. Thank you.